everybody, and welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about modern orthodoxy, religious Zionism, and everything in between. My name is, I'm here with Judge Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Uh, Rabbi Johnny Solomon is a lecturer and a speaker and an educator in communities around the world and in Israel. I'm here with Rabbi Mali Bravsky. Mali Bravsky is also a uh, professional social worker and teaches in, uh, in MMY. My name is Ruben Spalter. Uh, I'm uh, an administrator and a Jewish educator, and I, I'm the director of OTS Amiel Bakihila. Uh, um, I'm going to introduce. This is going to be a conversation about a conversation, and I'm going to I'm going to discuss. I'm going to explain where this began and what we're not going to talk about first, and then we'll discuss what we're not going to talk about and why we won't talk about it. So this week, the the internet exploded about a wedding that took place that was officiated by an Orthodox rabbi who publicly explained why he felt it was appropriate as an Orthodox rabbi to to officiate at a same-sex wedding. And we're not going to talk about the wedding itself or about the individuals involved in any way, out of a sense of, A, sensitivity to the people involved, and also about the idea that it's very difficult for us to, to discuss these issues in a way that, that, can, uh, that can discuss them in an abstract way about ideas and not about individuals and personalities. And so, essentially, you're now, you're now in the middle of, of a, we, we have, we've had a long conversation about whether we can talk about this. And so we've started recording because I felt this is an important discussion, what we feel we can talk about and things that we can't talk about. And uh, while I will say I was an advocate of talking about this issue, my colleagues on the, uh, on the podcast uh, feel very much a sense of discomfort about talking about it and reticence talking about it. And I think sometimes it's important to talk about what we don't talk about and why we don't talk about it. So I'm going to ask uh, Johnny to begin and talk about and, and explain what he feels the factors are. So I guess this is what we call a meta-conversation, a conversation about a conversation, which I think is an important conversation in and of itself. Can we talk about things and what are the costs when we do talk about them and what do we lose when we don't? Of Johnny, please. Okay, so to frame this conversation, uh, I think it's important to distinguish between the public and the private, and where you say that uh, there's been an explosion of discourse surrounding this particular ceremony, you particularly mean discourse online, specifically on social media. Uh, and overall, what I find is that important conversations which necessarily must be had, not just should or could, but necessarily must be had, uh, especially when dealing with more sensitive issues, more nuanced issues, and, and individuals uh, for whom you know, life is precious. Uh, they need to be handled perhaps in a way that affords the best dignity and respect and the clearest uh, amount of uh, nuance to those involved. Online conversations about things that matter oftentimes are very, very um, uh, black and white. Oftentimes they're very, very denominational. Oftentimes it's about him or her or this institution or that institution. And a lot is lost in, in translation. So the reason why we're having this uh, podcast is to explore, as, a, as somebody who has ideas about a range of things in contemporary orthodoxy, at what point do I choose to conduct conversations more privately or at least one-to-one, face-to-face? And at what point do I, am I prepared to share them online, knowing that online often reduces the nuance in the things I'm trying to communicate? And I think it's a shikul 
because if you hold back from sharing ideas online, which is really the marketplace of ideas for many people, you can actually diminish the richness of that conversation. Whereas if you do share ideas online, not only can it lead to savvy ad hominem attacks, which is one thing, but oftentimes it can, it can take away some of the dimension, some of the empathy and some of the thoughtfulness of a conclusion which may well be already quite clear. But nevertheless, the personality of the person concluding that may not necessarily be communicated as clearly as possible with that, uh, on that platform. So that's my initial kind of reaction. Mali? Mali? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So I, I, I have along very similar lines to Johnny. First of all, one of the rules I'm trying to live by is um, kind of be precise in your speech, uh, speak the truth carefully and, um, and um, accurately. And I think one of the problems, especially with an issue like this, is that it's extremely complex and that makes it difficult for me to be precise in my speech around it, um, both because uh, it could be that there are pieces of it that I haven't fully yet formed my thoughts on, um, and therefore it's amorphous and difficult to be precise about, and also because um, the degree of complexity involved, and this is kind of similar to something that Johnny's saying, I, I, I don't know that that, that, that lends itself um, to being... I don't know whether I would be able to express accurately what I needed to say in a conversation like this right now. Um, by the way, I, I do have these conversations, like Johnny's saying, I have these conversations privately all the time. The advantage of those conversations are, A, it's individualized with the person that I'm talking to, right? So that rather than kind of making general pronouncements, which, and again, this is another one of my kind of life tenets, is that macro is always more, uh, not... A, less preferable than micro. So if I'm talking on a micro level about a specific issue, I'm talking with a specific person, I'm dealing with their specific concerns um, coming from their specific um, place, uh, their own thoughts and feelings about something, it's much easier to, to respond or to articulate my thoughts in that kind of a conversation. And there, there can be much more precise and accurate. Um, and again, when it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I can be much more confident that the nuances of my beliefs or of my opinions or even the places where I'm not sure, it's clear to the person that I'm talking to, or even if it's a small group, to the small group that I'm talking to. At, at the same time, I do hear, and this is, you know, R Ruby was kind of pushing us before the, con before the this, this talking about the talking, and that's a therapeutic term, which is what we're doing right now, talking about the talking, right? So... Um, <laughs> Um, Ruby was arguing, and I think, you know, Johnny alluded to this, and he's correct, that um, the, the, the marketplace of ideas today is often online. Latova um, Lemutav, which I also learned that expression from a Haredi friend, which means for good and not so good. Um, and to not be part of that conversation is to leave the marketplace empty of important voices. And I think that that's why we the three of us, I think, are trying to have this podcast because we're trying very hard to talk about important issues that are sometimes hard issues, but we work very hard to try to do that uh, with a lot of respect and and as much thoughtfulness and nuance as possible. Um, at the same time, the you know, like I'm I'm very alive to the to the dangers of of the online world um, and. Um, 
uh, yeah. And so like those dangers very much um, kind of And again, because I'm still in that amorphous place, like what exactly danger am I afraid of? What am I concerned about? Am I concerned about me not being clear? Am I concerned about being misunderstood? Am I concerned? You know, like that's part of where I can't be so precise, right? That's what Ruby is pushing me. And that's where I'm, I can't, I'm being honest. I can't be 100% precise in my speech about what I'm afraid of. But I know that for sure part of what I'm afraid of is that I won't be able to express um, what I want to say clearly. And, I'm, and I'll add something now while I'm being precise that I'm not sure that I'll be able to be understood. Um, and I, I, can I make one more point? Can I take another minute just to make another point? I, 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 I haven't I'm even speaking. been singling you. I'm just listening. Uh, okay, fine. I, I'm, I'm actually enjoying the conversation with myself as you're making my points for me, but that's good. Okay. All right. I want to make, <laughs> I, I want to make another point, which because I've been thinking very hard um, about why, what, what is it about the, the online discourse and even just public discourse today that is becoming so difficult. Why is it so hard to have conversations? Um, and I found a theory that I that, that I thought was very helpful, and I want to just share it with you guys very briefly. And it was it was based on an idea called decoupling. What does that mean? So it's nothing to do with um, the way Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin got divorced, which they called conscious uncoupling, which I thought was hilarious. This is an idea called decoupling, and what it means is, um, can you say something right that like the way, the way I would say it is just because I said X doesn't necessarily mean I believe Y, okay? So I'll try to give, um, all the examples are going to be explosive, explosive, so I'll try to give one that was, was not one I found in an article, but is, we'll, make, we'll make the point clear, right? James Dumore wrote a Google um, memo. There was a Google memo put out to all members of Google about women in tech and making sure that women are equally represented. James Dumore wrote a memo where he said, well, you know, I, I think that it might be that the reason there, there, there are... Fewer women in tech has to do with certain um, innate gender factors, and he he um, laid down a few of those, and he was immediately fired. Okay, so the people who would like on the side of, of course, he he who ha he has to be immediately fired are people who are high couplers. What does that mean? They believe that if you say that a woman, and again, this is very broad, so everybody don't couple me with that I'm saying that I believe this or that or that I could be wrong about the case I'm using it now as a theoretical case example okay so even if the facts are wrong theoretically okay? you're afraid of being coupled by the, in, in the discussion afraid. about decoupling <laughs> exactly I am I am that's not what he meant that's not what he said and how could you say that let's now pretend that it never happened in this hypothetical case because I might not understand all the nuance but let's say right theoretically the argument would be the minute that you say that there are gender differences that affect whether women have a role in the stem cells, you are contributing to an environment that is um, demeaning of women, unsafe for women, and makes the tech area a, a less safe space for women, right? You're coupling those two ideas. And the other side would say, that's not true. Just because I says X doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna say Y. What's like, okay, I'm just gonna, fin I'm gonna tie this together. Why am I saying this? Because this was such an important key for me in trying to understand what's happening on the internet. I think what happens on the internet is that you have a lot of high coupling going on, right? So the minute a person says X, 
people immediately assume about them that that means why, right? The inference is why. And then there's like a very quick um, pile-on about how dare you say that, or all kinds of unwritten assumptions. And, and, and by the way, I am a very high decoupler. I believe you should be able to separate things. I don't believe you can actually have um, intelligent discourse without decoupling. But just to be fair, I'm, I'm struggling because I try, I believe in nuance, to understand the value of high, of, of high couplers, right? And, the, and the, what they believe, which is it's important to take into account context and, and larger factors, and those have to be part of the conversation. All right, we just lost Ruby, but that's, that's the last thing I have to say. Okay, um, I'm going to respond, even though Molly actually responded for me. Uh, this is a conversation about the conversation. Uh, so I think it's important for at least to make the, my point on my own um, and, and to say that I personally think that we should be talking about these things because especially as, you, as Johnny said, we, we try very hard in, this, in these conversations to have nuance. This isn't a, a Facebook post and it isn't like a comment and we try to flesh things out and Molly and Johnny do things, I don't know about myself, but in, in such an intelligent and thoughtful way. And, and I think that there's a cost when we're afraid to really to, in my mind, articulate positions that are, that are so in the mainstream of Torah Judaism and of orthodoxy because of the fear of being, of being vilified or being coupled or being not even misconstrued, construed, you know, and I'm not talking about individuals, I'm talking about on a policy level, especially about people who consider themselves and who have, have written about themselves as public figures. You know, we're not talking about people and individuals, we're talking about public figures and, and speaking in the name of orthodoxy. And we're not, and we're afraid to say, no, orthodoxy is not that. Orthodoxy doesn't represent that. Not you are, but orthodoxy. And the only people that do that now on the, on the internet are people who are now, are, are, you know, labeled in such a way that, that their voices are considered beyond the pale or just too loud and too shrill. And the fact that we're not even willing to have this conversation means that we've lost the battle the war for all the people that want to have an allegiance to the Misara, but consider themselves modern and normal and intelligent. Because we won't even say, yes, you can be modern and normal and intelligent and still believe that Kadosh Baruch Hu created us in this way, that a Kadosh Baruch Hu demands that we, that we have certain, that, that, that certain behaviors are, are not acceptable in traditional Judaism. And we're afraid to say that because we're going to be labeled on the internet. I think that there's a great cost to that. That means that we've lost the cultural conversation. And as Johnny mentioned, all of these discussions happen online. All of cultural shifts now happen because of things that happen online. And without a voice being able to say, you know, normal things, normal in the sense of Mesorah, from my perspective, then we will continue to see these shifts moving more and more and more. And the people that are going to be lost are the people that want that sense of Mesorah, but you're going to be either lost to the, to, in one direction or lost in the other direction. Okay, we have ten minutes left, so this leads us to um, to the to the, the the idea of what we're talking about is the sense of there's this idea of thought police, of things that you can say and things that you can't say, and this this happened actually in in this area, but happens all the time in the other in other areas as well. That well, you're not like, like the way Molly described it. You can't say that because that must mean you are X, Y, and Z. And it actually is, is interesting to me because I would think it happens in 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 both directions. So I just wanted to mention that. It happened recently, um, Rabbi Yaakov Ariel, who is the rabbi of Ramad Gan, was given the Israel Prize, Johnny, was, I think it was the Israel Prize, yeah. for his work in, his work in, in, um, 
in, in Jewish writing, a life of work of halachic writing and, you know, amazing things that he did. And of course, I don't know, of course, but now in Israel, there's an outcry because Rabbi Ariel has been outspoken and in ways that I disagree with about issues of homosexuality. That he shouldn't be given the Israel price, he's like beyond the pale. That everything you've ever said now is going to be scrutinized in the lens of does it fit in cultural norms? And therefore, are you in or are you out? And, I was, and, and, and this issue is something that I think all of us struggle with. You know, we're going to, how can you pass on a man like Rabbi Ariel, who is so in the mainstream? And what it does is it heightens to people. On the one, on the one hand, you know, it just could, continues to further polarize in my mind. Because the people that are, you know, in, in, in Israel, normative religious Judaism, they're like, what do you mean? This is Rabbi Yaakov Ariel, who's, he's not beyond the pale. He's not extreme. Have you ever heard the way he talks? He's, he's not, you know, he's well, well in the mainstream. So that just shuts out, they're, they don't want to listen anymore to people on the left because, you know, because they're not even willing to consider Yaakov Ariel as normal. And, and the same way on the other side. So I just wanted to mention, by the way, that this thought police goes in both directions. Because those very, very same people who, who, will, who will, of course, defend Rabbi Ariel and his right to say what he wants, if somebody like us will say things that are, how shall I consider, that are, that are considered too left-wing, we're immediately labeled as reform and beyond the pale and not considered in the mainstream of, of religious Judaism. So, I, I, you know, these, these tactics, what's good for the goose, good for the gander, I feel we should talk about these things in order just to reject that whole premise. I reject it. I think that we have to talk about things and say that when I agree with something, I agree with it. When I disagree, when I think it's beyond the pale, I have the right to say that. And I reject the fact that I'm going to be labeled in one way or the other, or I accept that fact, and nonetheless feel an obligation to express my opinion and my position. Johnny. So, I mean, uh, in terms of Rav Yaakov Ariel, I mean, you insist that uh, he's being representative of, of normative orthodoxy. Listen, there are certain things he says I've agreed with, certain things I disagree. I, I don't think... Uh, we, when we have these continuums, when we insist that somebody is in a particular place and anybody disagrees with them, that doesn't necessarily excuse uh, things that they say that perhaps um, do rub people the wrong way or, or don't represent at least the halakha as I understand it. So I want to again... No, no, I, I totally agree with that. But then to say, oh, but you can't give him, you can't honor him, you can't because he has said something that I disagree no, with. However, that's what I'm the, talking the, about. The, what, no, what, the, the issue is how that kind of argument came about. Because when he was... Uh, Lista said that he was going to be receiving the Israel Prize. What did uh, the journalists in Haaretz do? They didn't open his farim like I've done and learn it through and say, wow, this is impressive. I, I disagree with this. Then have a context, at least, to have a conversation. They googled Yaakov Ariel, found the most inflammatory headline, which itself is hardly necessarily representative of what he did or didn't say. I have no idea and I'm not in, in a position to comment. And then said, how can you do this? Meaning it's profoundly shallow commentating which shows no regard for the totality of a person. And as you say, it works in every direction. Now, Rambam famously says, you know, accept truth from wherever it comes from. That means there are ideas that people whom I fundamentally disagree with, but some of their ideas, I think, have merit. You know, even Rav Hirsch, if I recall, and, and, and people can uh, challenge me, I'll try and find the Makar, where in his 19 letters, he says, you know, there are certain dimensions of reformed jury that... Uh, I acknowledge as coming from a good place. I just disagree with their outcome. Meaning he was prepared to give a, a, a minor nod in the direction of a movement that he fundamentally disagreed with. And that means that it should be okay that there are people that I don't see eye to eye with, but I see that 
they contribute meaningfully to certain dimensions of the discourse and try and see the totality of the person, right? So, the, you know, that, uh, what did Chazal say? Um, um, so this beautiful drush of the as it uh, the the Baal Shem Tov, he says not Dan Adam. If you can be Dan Kol Adam, then you'll always find something to agree with. While always there'll probably be things that you disagree with. That but the it, the problem is the platforms where these conversations take place are often shallow in idea shared and highly shadow in the responses given. But Johnny, that's exactly so, my point. This podcast is not that. It was never meant I to be that. that. And if we live in fear of being that, then I really don't, I, I, I struggle with what we're, what we're, what we're doing here. That, that's Baruch, my point. But so let, let me just extend briefly what I said to, to earlier on. I think uh, uh, both as, you know, as, a, as a teacher, but also somebody that some people turn to for, for rabbinic guidance. There are certain things that I'll gladly write, uh, but there are certain things I'll always leave within the realm of Eitzah rather than Psak, and things that I think are best shared and communicated, uh, you know, in, in more private gatherings. I think that's always been a depth, that there are things that are said and not written, and sometimes things that are written aren't necessarily communicating all the ideas that are, are, um, that are the totality of that personality. I don't know the totality of Yaakov Yael, but to judge him only by his books, I think is shallow. To judge him by a headline from somebody about his books is just ridiculous. But similarly so, that unfortunately, that's where we are. And I agree that's why it's important to have this conversation. Nevertheless, the question isn't necessarily on us. The question is, can religious thought leaders or people who think they have things to add to the conversation have the confidence to do so knowing that the people hearing them or reading them aren't going to be shallow listeners and shallow readers. And that's not meant to be insulting, God forbid. It's just that's where, unfortunately, so much of the conversation is at. I would say it a little differently. Can we have the conversation knowing that people, that some people will misconstrue and misinterpret and you know be insulted and be affected with the understanding or the hope that most people who are listening will be able to think about it, evaluate it, agree or disagree, but do so in a respectful way. That's the question that we're asking ourselves. That, that's, I, that's what I think, that's what we're doing here. That, that's really what we're doing here. Yeah. And I, I hope that the answer is yes. I hope that next week you guys will come back and say, yeah, we should talk about the discussion. We should talk about the public policy and hope that people can have that conversation. But I'll respect you if you think, again, I'm trying to model. If you're not comfortable, then I'm, you know, I'll stop forcing the issue and we'll, we'll talk about something else. Molly. Okay, so first of all, I just want to say, um, w w the way you initially presented it, as if like, okay, if we don't speak about this online, everything happens online, um, uh, you know, I, we can a little bit step back from that. There are other ways of people who are nuanced and balanced getting their points across, as Johnny said, or I don't know if he just, I know maybe he didn't say this, but like... Um, somebody you can you can post online in a different way you can think thoughtfully for a while then you can write a post and you can put it on your facebook post instead of getting involved in an online conversation that's like you know 16 million different people already uh in the heat of the argument um there are rabbis who function privately and and still extremely effectively there are other ways besides like oh my gosh if we don't you know contribute to this specific The world is not going then. to rise or fall on our podcast. We know our numbers. Yeah, but you know, exactly. but, <laughs> but the issue like, but the issue how is much the, online presence we 
need or don't. The issue need. is broader. The issue is, but I'm, it's not about us, Molly, about people. this podcast. It's about people writing okay. articles, about being afraid to write Correct. an article. And okay, so that fine. So right, so fine. So that point, I will concede with you. I absolutely 100 percent agree. I actually agree with you extremely strongly. I'm extremely real concerned about. There's actually a, a name for this now. It's called cancel culture. Right? You guys heard that expression, cancel culture? No. Right? It's like literally, I like until I first heard the word, I was like, I cannot believe they're talking about other human beings this way. It's like, we need to cancel. You know who was canceled? JK Rowling was canceled. She's canceled, right? Kevin Hart is canceled. It doesn't matter. These are all pop culture references. But it literally means you cancel a person, which means Ravariel was just canceled, right? They are now um, no longer legitimized as like people that we can. Um, they have to lose their jobs, right? That's that's like the most simple way of understanding what it means that they were canceled, right? Um, so that's like a very concrete, right? Kevin Hart cannot host the Oscars because he made a homophobic tweet um, ten years ago, and after which he said, "I've I've changed my mind." Michael right? Goldberg can't become president because he because he represented whatever. Are, again, is canceled because she supported a woman who said that she believes that there that 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 there actually are sex differences between men and women, and that woman was fired for saying that. And J.K. Rowling said, "I don't think that woman should be fired." And then J.K. Rowling was canceled, right? So like, yeah, except I, I the difference is J.K. Rowling is a multi-billionaire, and people still like her books. All right, but, what, but the point <laughs> is, it's the she, meaning meaning she's big enough to say. Correct. I don't Correct. care about the cancer. Correct. Cancer. Exactly. That's and point. that's okay. But that's the very important point, which is we do have to learn to be brave enough to speak out when it's important against this cancel culture, because if we allow, and by the way, there are studies that, that, that like the, 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 the majority of the voices, the loud strident voices um, that, that unfortunately have a tremendous impact on our, as you said before, Ruby, on our social mores and discourse is somewhere around 20% of the population actually believe those things. And they have a tremendous sway because they are the keyboard warriors. And for all that you say, okay, but they're just a bunch of machine and keyboard warriors, they actually do impact the culture in a lot of ways. So I do think that it's true that the silent majority, or I don't, it maybe doesn't matter for my majority or minority, but let's say you feel differently and you want to add a voice of reason and discourse. You want to stand up against um, extremism from both sides, shallow thinking from both sides, all of these things, inject, inject some sanity and nuance and complexity into a conversation. I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I feel like we have a moral imperative to start doing that, to start set, standing up and ha making our voices heard. Um, I, I just, I think on this issue, um, our reasons for not doing it, uh, you know, or, or, or why, you know, that, that, you know, we are not, it's not that we don't, agree with you about that. I think, as Johnny said in the beginning, I think that, that we're thinking more about how to have this conversation in a way that's most appropriate. Because we're thoughtful and because we want to be nuanced and because we want to be um, ethically appropriate, it's not that we're... I don't think we're afraid of the thought police. I, I hope we're not afraid of the thought police. Um, well, we have I a week think to think about we it. Just, no, but I think it's, 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 it's more that, like, if I'm going to stand up against the thought police, then I need to know that I have thought carefully about what I'm going to say and that I can stand behind it both um, philosophically, ideologically, you know, in terms of like a a, a a rational conversation, right? In terms of like, can, I, can it be picked at? Can, have I steel man myself? And also ethically, can I stand behind everything I say? And for me, like, I need to be really, I have that, that takes a lot of, I have to think a lot or, and I have to, you know, use a lot before I can have, you know, that conversation. Johnny, I'll give you the last word. 
<laughs> I don't think I asked for it. Okay. okay <laughs> oh, I no, thought no, you were asking I'll for it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I said we, we have to wrap up. But we, we need to work, but, work on our hand singles. We have to work on our, you know. What, 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 I genu- what I would say is the following. Um, the reason why, at least I, and I think Mali, and, and, and we spoke briefly before we started recording, that in, in terms of very specific questions, I can answer them very, very specifically. Do I agree with certain uh, ceremonies? No, but it's, the point is, if only those words could be understood in the tone in which they've said, uh, and without this coupling that Ma- Mali so beautifully explained. But, uh, you know, we are people who teach, but also we are people who help. And uh, it's easy when, when these, uh, what is Mali to say about keyboard warriors, right? But it's easy for people to say, those of you who make absolute pronouncements, you know, where are your tears in your eyes? And the answer is, you know, in my spare time, 11 o'clock at night, you know, when I'm exhausted, I try and meet people and I trust me, I have tears in my eyes, helping them in all sorts of different uh, situations. You don't know people unless you try and uh, lean in and ask yourself, who, are, who is this personality? If you want to have headlines, you can do that uh, from anybody and everybody. In the world of the internet, unfortunately, something that somebody said once, 12 years ago, can be their legacy, tragically. But people change. Ideas change. And people abroad and, uh, and, and the snapshot culture, which is not just social media, but often even the way we live, unfortunately does uh, a tremendous disservice to to every person we meet, uh, and sometimes even ourselves too. So at least to our listeners, I'd say, uh, if you know, we want to this conversation to continue. I believe we've we've uh, opened up not a can of worms. We've opened up something really, really important. Help us, you know, take this conversation further. I mean, I'm genuinely, this is this is one of these co- podcasts where I'd really love to hear uh, those who listen to our podcast share their opinions. Tell us not just what you think you'd like to be hearing from us, but also how you think the conversation can be improved. Because there are ideas that I do want to share, and there are thoughts that do need to be uh, written about. Nevertheless, the question isn't, are we coherent or unnecessarily, are we um, passionate or committed or loyal to those ideas? But how best to conduct delicate conversations which impact on people, because we care about Torah, we also care about people. And finding that balance uh, to make sure that both are heard through the conversation. That's the tricky thing to do. Okay, I'll, I, that's a great place to wrap it up, but I'll just echo what Rob Johnny said. We do want your comments. We, we sometimes get them on Facebook. Uh, on our There's a Facebook RZ Weekly page. You can also email uh, any one of us because we share with each other on our, uh, we share with each other any comments that we might have. Uh, I would also ask, you know, the way this podcast spreads is by word of mouth. If you could share it on Facebook, tell your friends about it and let us know what you're thinking. That's really important for us as, uh, as we try to move forward. Right, I want to thank, again, Rabbi Johnny Solomon, Rabbi Mali Brovsky. Uh, if, you, if you can leave a review or share this on your social media with your friends, that would very much help us uh, promote, uh, promote this podcast on the internet. Uh, my name is Yvonne Spolter. I want to thank my son, Dr. Spolter, for our music. Have a good week, everyone.